2: or text WONDERYPOD Pod to 500 500.
3: Good morning. Jane Pauley is off today. I'm Steve Hartman, and this is Sunday Morning. The words are inscribed over the steps to the Supreme Court. Equal justice under law. But in the real world, does that translate into equal justice for all? Not to hear many a defense attorney tell it. And tell it to our Lee Cowan they do in our Sunday Morning cover story.
4: It's been more than a half a century since the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the constitutional right that anyone too poor to hire an attorney should still get one. Have a seat, folks. Seated. They're called public defenders. And while it is very public, some say there's little actual defending going on.
5: For the 80% of people who are poor, we don't have anything that comes anywhere close to being equal justice under law. A constitutional promise broken later
3: on Sunday morning. Ray Romano is a comic actor with a show title to his credit that everybody loves, but him. Tracy Smith will tell us all about it in our Sunday profile.
6: Then you are pathetic, and you don't deserve to be with anyone.
3: Yeah, it's easy for you to say. What was that? I
7: don't play dead.
1: For nine seasons, everybody loved Raymond, but Raymond always hated the title. Now that you have some distance between the title and I the present day, I still don't like it. But now, with a new series and a new movie, he may be more loved than ever. There he is. Ray Romano, ahead this Sunday morning.
3: We have a Q&A this morning with Jeremy Renner, an actor with at least one surprising entry in his resume. John Blackstone is doing the honors.
8: Before the punches were thrown in a string of action movies... <laughs> Jeremy Renner paid the bills in an unexpected way. You were a makeup artist?
9: Yeah, yeah. It was a great job because as a a young man and putting makeup on, it was great, man. There's nothing (laughs) wrong with that, right?
8: The Oscar nominated Jeremy Renner later on Sunday morning.
3: Look up. That's what millions of us will be doing a week from
10: tomorrow, including our Martha Teichner. Seeing a total eclipse of the sun seems to inspire rapture.
11: It was the most awe-inspiring, I dare say spiritual experience I've ever had.
10: With one headed our way...
2: This line is the center of the 73-mile-wide solar eclipse.
10: Ahead this Sunday morning... You
2: can have an eclipse anytime you want. You don't have
10: to wait. A very American eclipse...
3: David Martin will be exploring America's options in the standoff with North Korea. Mark Phillips has the tale of some English homeowners grasping at straws. I'll visit a couple who are playing their song in a race against time and more.
6: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment and more. Play it at play.it.
3: Does our criminal justice system truly guarantee justice for all? Not if you don't have the money to hire your own top notch attorney, it doesn't. Our Sunday morning cover story is reported by Lee Cowan.
5: I was looking over the brief. You're
4: about to hear some pretty strong words from this law professor. So strong, they're almost
5: hard to believe. But listen carefully
2: of
6: the
5: United States of America. When we uh, pledge allegiance to the flag and we say, with liberty and justice for all, that's just not true. I'm sorry. So is the notion of equal justice under the law really just a myth? Oh, I think it is, yes. Unless something changes, we're going to have to someday sandblast equal justice under law off the Supreme Court building, because for the 80% of people who are poor, Uh, we we don't have anything that comes anywhere close to being equal justice under law. Shocking,
4: right? His name is Stephen Bright. He currently teaches law at Yale University. But he spent much of his career at the Southern Center for Human Rights, fighting to help those charged with a crime but can't afford an attorney to defend them in court.
12: They're hot, okay, so you know you got to blow them like we do. People
4: like Shauna Shackelford. Is it good? So what did this do to your
12: life? Ruined it. Yeah. Tore it apart.
4: Back in 2009, her home outside Atlanta caught fire. She wasn't home at the time, but she had taken out a small insurance policy on that rental house, and that made investigators suspicious.
12: I thought that it was just a misunderstanding. Like, they're going to figure this out, and it's going to be okay.
4: But it wasn't. Shauna found herself under arrest, charged with arson
12: my grandma was like, you might need to get an attorney and talk to somebody.
4: Did you have money for an attorney? No. So she applied for a public defender, a court-appointed lawyer tasked with making sure the Sixth Amendment is upheld. That's the part of our Constitution that guarantees any of us the assistance of counsel.
8: The next case on the docket is the case of the state of Florida. It's a right
4: that's been tested and court, here. most notably in a case brought in the 60s by a petty thief in Florida named Clarence Gideon. No.
5: Request this court to appoint counsel to...
4: Unable to afford an attorney, Gideon was convicted and sentenced without one. He appealed, arguing his right to an attorney had been violated, and the U.S. Supreme Court agreed. But while the Constitution may promise everyone legal counsel, it says nothing about the quality of that legal counsel. And that's something Shauna noticed right away. How long did you have to wait to hear from your public defender?
12: Two weeks. And his response was, I got a bunch of cases like yours, so I'll get to it when I get to it.
4: When he finally did get to it, instead of going over the details of her case, Shauna says he simply told her to plead guilty and take 25 years behind bars.
12: He said, well, if you didn't do it, then who did it? And I said, I don't know, but I didn't burn it down. And he was like, well, I mean, it looks like you did. He knew nothing about my case when he was talking to me. He was mixing me up with some other case, like he had no idea what was going on.
4: Shauna's case is not unusual. Nearly every case, roughly 90% in fact, often end in a guilty plea. Largely because even if a poor defendant is innocent, most can't afford bail or to wait in jail for trial, which means losing their jobs, their cars,
5: maybe even their homes in the process. Being arrested uh, and spending four or five days in jail uh, can be enough to ruin a person's life even if they're ultimately found not to be guilty of anything. but This is what we call the arraignment. Take
4: the city of Cordell, Georgia, for
5: example. There won't be any evidence presented.
4: Watch how these defendants all plead guilty as a group. And how do you plead? Yes.
13: How do you plead? Yes. How do you plead?
5: Bright calls it the meet and plead
4: defense.
5: You'll see a crowded courtroom. And there'll be a lawyer there with his legal patent and he'll be, Miss Smith, is Miss Smith, raise your hand. And they're trying to identify their own clients. And this is getting ready to go before the judge in just a moment.
4: Have a seat, folks. seated. We saw the same thing in a Miami
5: courtroom.
11: My clients all arrive on the bus.
5: Where one public defender had to handle a crowd of clients all at once. I don't care who the person is. I don't care how dedicated they are. You cannot represent 500 criminal defendants at the same time and give those clients the representation that they're entitled to
4: nowhere is the problem of indigent defense more acute than in louisiana which has the highest incarceration rate not only in the country but in the world
14: yeah hi this is rhonda covington at public defender's office
4: take Rhonda covington she is the sole public defender responsible for representing anyone too poor to afford a lawyer in her judicial district. That case was dismissed. That district encompasses about a 1,000 square miles. Just ballpark figure, how many people are you trying to defend every year?
14: Probably uh, uh, five, 600. Every year? Yeah.
4: The professional standard, according to the American Bar Association, is about 150 felony cases a year. And some think even that's too much.
14: Jimmy, you still here?
4: She has two paralegals and two contract attorneys who help with the load, but they're only part-time.
14: I really don't have time to go to the jail and check on it. That's not right. No, I'm sorry, this was filed in the wrong file. Hang on a minute.
4: It's mostly just her and her two cats, named Liberty and Justice, by the way.
14: She even cleans the
4: office herself.
14: I can ask the judge to reduce his bond. Some people say, well, any defense will do. And some people think, well, you know, they shouldn't have representation because they've been arrested. My job is not to get people off when they've committed crimes. That's not what I do. What I do is to ensure that their constitutional rights are protected.
4: The bulk of the state funding for Louisiana's public defender offices comes from a pretty unpredictable source. It's traffic tickets, which out on these country roads isn't exactly a windfall. Compared to The district attorney's office, what's your budget like?
14: Uh, His is uh, five times, six times more than mine.
4: Out of that budget comes assistance and investigators and access to pay for things like DNA testing.
14: I've gone to crime scenes before with my, my own camera taking photographs. Really? Yes. So each year, it's always something a little less, a little less, a little less.
4: Doing more with less is why she thinks she lost the case for this client. I
14: believe you. I've always believed you.
4: 56-year-old James Waltman.
14: I've decided to go ahead and file a second motion for new trial, citing the the reason being that uh, we had insufficient funds in order to investigate your case.
4: Waltman admitted he assaulted his wife during an argument, but the state also charged him with kidnapping and rape. Sentence-heavy crimes he insists he never committed. Covington believed with some investigation she could have at least lessened the charges. But she didn't have the time or the money.
14: I couldn't shut down my whole office for that one case.
8: Being, being innocent, I had all the confidence in the world that uh, I'd walk out.
0: But didn't happen.
4: All across Louisiana, public defenders in 33 of the state's 44 judicial districts now admit they're in the same boat Covington is in. They're simply too busy to ethically handle their caseloads.
12: If you ain't got a paid lawyer, you're going to go through this.
4: Joseph Allen was arrested last year in Baton Rouge for a firearms violation, as well as a marijuana charge. The court didn't even know he was in jail because his public defender didn't know he was in jail. Did it feel like anybody was on your side? Not really, no. Nobody there to sort of help you through the legal maze, nobody to no, sir. explain the charges? No, sir. I did all that up on
14: my own, reading the law book.
4: Now Allen and 12 others are suing Louisiana's governor and the Public Defender Board in a class action lawsuit brought by the Southern Poverty Law Center.
6: We're arguing that being appointed an attorney who doesn't know who you are, doesn't investigate your case, doesn't come to see you, doesn't take your calls, doesn't ask for a bond reduction, doesn't investigate the evidence, doesn't talk to any witnesses, and doesn't do anything else to move your case, file any motions that are particularized to you, you don't have an attorney. You have an attorney in name only.
4: Lisa Graybill is the Southern Poverty Law Center's Deputy Legal Director.
6: I don't believe in filing lawsuits unless you really have to, right? If there were a way to avoid filing it, we would have. But this injustice has gone on really for too long. It's unacceptable.
4: Back in Georgia, Shauna Shackelford spent years researching her case
6: by herself.
4: Her public defender was too busy with other cases, she says. In the process, she lost two jobs and her home. After all, who wants to hire or rent to a suspected arsonist? Had it not been for Stephen Bright, the only person who would seriously look into her case, Shauna would probably be in jail. His investigation, which he did for free, proved that the fire was the result of faulty wiring, not arson. It took him just two weeks to get Shauna's case dismissed. Just two weeks worth of work.
12: Two weeks. That's all it took. Somebody used to do a little research and try.
4: All right, come on, let's get in. It still took Shawna Shackelford, though, three more years
12: to get the charges
4: off her record. But now, with the nightmare finally behind her, she started anew. Hold on, let's do undo your foot. She's opening her own business and focusing on being a mom to her two-year-old son, Jay Ben. (laughs) You did get justice, but not the way it should have come.
12: No. Or at the price. It was almost like having to give up my life for my freedom. And that's what I had to choose in the end. I had to give up so many years in order to get to the point of freedom.
3: Ahead, mellow voice, tiny Tiny Bubbles. And now a page from our Sunday morning almanac. August 13, 1930, 87 years ago today. The day singer and musician Don Ho was born in Hawaii. Following service in the Air Force in the 1950s, Ho started performing at his family's bar, with no thought at first of becoming a big name performer. Still, his popularity grew around the islands, and in 1966, he scored his mainland breakthrough with his big hit, Tiny bubbles. Tiny bubbles. Tiny bubble, the the From then on, the name Don Ho was all but synonymous with Hawaii. And he was a frequent presence on the nation's TV screens, as in this guest appearance on the Brady Bunch.
7: You have a little trouble with that, aren't you?
12: I sure am. Can you play one? I think I remember. <laughs> Thanks.
10: You're a lot better than Bobby.
3: Thanks again. Famous for his laid-back style, Ho jokingly alluded to his popularity during a campaign pitch for Robert Kennedy during the nineteen sixty-eight presidential campaign.
5: Someday maybe we might have a Hawaii president, you know, President Ho. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Though that was never to be. Don Ho was known as Hawaii's informal goodwill ambassador. And long after his death in 2007, at the age of 76, that goodwill continues. Nothing tiny about it. Coming up, Weighing the Options.
13: Behind the fire-and-fury rhetoric, there is one very hard fact captured in this picture of the secretary of defense visiting the ballistic missile submarine USS Kentucky. If the U.S. were to unleash its military power against North Korea, it would result, in Secretary Mattis's words, in the end of its regime and the destruction of its people. COMPARE U.S. nuclear forces to Korean
15: nuclear forces. Well, there's just no comparison whatsoever.
13: Before he retired, Admiral James Winifeld was the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the number two man in uniform during the Obama administration. He knows that one submarine, like the Kentucky, can by itself carry enough nuclear weapons to annihilate North Korea. Were Kim Jong-un, for whatever reason, to launch a nuclear weapon at the United States, would he, in <clears throat> essence, be committing suicide?
15: Absolutely. I mean, there's just no question that um, we would undertake a proportional response. But in the case of a nuclear weapon, that proportional response would be overwhelming and would probably mean the end of the Kim regime. And he knows it.
13: But people say,
15: this guy's different, young, brash,
13: unpredictable. Do you think the logic of overwhelming force really means much to him?
15: I think it does. Uh, I, the people I've spoken to in the intelligence community and elsewhere, in my own judgment, is that even though he's young and he's brash, he's not irrational. Uh, he's not suicidal.
13: But Kim knows one other thing. Even in defeat, he could cause horrendous destruction to his enemies in South Korea. We believe As we Defense Secretary Mattis made so clear to John Dickerson of Face the Nation so in his only television interview. Here. A conflict in North Korea, John, would be probably... Uh, the worst uh, kind of fighting in most people's lifetimes. Kim would take tens, perhaps hundreds of thousands of innocent people down with him. The North Korean regime has hundreds of artillery cannons and rocket launchers within range of one of the most densely populated cities on Earth, which is the capital of South Korea. Kim, like his father and grandfather before him, has lived under what he believes to be the constant threat of an attack from the South. That fear, some would call it paranoia, is what is driving his quest for a nuclear weapon.
15: He wants to have what we would view as a credible nuclear threat so we won't attack him, which is sort of ludicrous because we don't have any intent to attack him in the first place.
13: So this is his great equalizer against
15: the great American superpower? It's his insurance policy and in his view.
13: Although Kim has tested missiles with a range great enough to hit the United States, and is credited with being able to produce a nuclear warhead small enough to go on top of those missiles, he is not yet insured. To have a reliable weapon, his scientists still must develop a nose cone that can shield that warhead from the heat and vibration of entering the Earth's atmosphere. The Pentagon's Defense Intelligence Agency estimates that could happen as soon as next year.
15: Eventually they're going to get there. They constantly test their systems. So the day is coming. It is.
13: The U.S. military has been preparing for that day for the past 15 years, spending $40 billion on radars and interceptor missiles to shoot down an incoming North Korean warhead. Earlier this year, the ballistic missile defense system shot down a mock North Korean ICBM launched from an
15: atoll in the Pacific. No system's perfect, to be sure, but I've got a lot of faith in that system.
13: No system is perfect, but when you're dealing with... Uh, nuclear weapons, one getting through, is an absolute catastrophe. It is. But look at it from Kim's point of view. He could not be certain a nuclear-armed missile would get through, but he could be certain that if he tried, it would be the end of his regime.
15: I think at the end of the day, um, two essential facts stand out. The first is uh, it's very unlikely that he will ever willingly give up his program, but it's also very, very unlikely that he will ever use it as long as we don't try to overthrow his regime.
13: Can the U.S. live with that? It's up to the commander-in-chief, who has said he will not allow North Korea to threaten America or its allies.
3: Still to come, actor Jeremy Renner. I
13: always loved
9: the freedom
3: that a motorcycle gives you. And later, fade to black.
6: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
13: What's the best way to, to go about
1: disarming one of these things?
15: The way you don't die, sir.
1: It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here again is Steve Hartman.
3: That's Jeremy Renner as a bomb disposal expert in the Iraq war film, The Hurt Locker. His success was a long time in the making, as he tells our John Blackstone in a round of questions and answers.
8: In Jeremy Renner's new movie, Wind River, out here, you cannot blink. Not once, not ever. It's winter in the mountains of Wyoming, and there's a body found in the snow.
11: Sorry, what is it? What is it that you do again?
8: You're
11: a lion hunter?
8: I hunt predators.
11: Good, so why don't you come hunt one for me then?
8: Renner plays a man who has a lethal skill, but is still vulnerable. It's my daughter, Emily.
9: She passed three years ago. I like that he's a father, and a father dealing with loss. She was such a good girl. But we let our guard down. And that's something I haven't played. I know there was a lot of restraint
8: in the character. Jeremy,
6: right next to me.
8: There is little restraint in other characters Renner has played in three movie franchises. A spy in Mission Impossible, a secret agent in The Bourne Legacy. And he's now a fixture in the Avengers superhero movies wielding a bow and arrows as Hawkeye.
9: Don't get me wrong, I considered, like, oh, am I gonna have the energy <laughs> to do the time to do this? But I'm like, yeah, these are awesome movies. I'm an idiot, not to say yes, you know?
8: Oh, In 2008, Renner played a more realistic hero, military bomb disposal expert in Iraq, in the Hurt Locker.
11: There's too many locks. There's too many. I can't do it. I do. I can't get it off. I'm sorry, okay? You understand? I'm sorry. Not over me. The Hurt Locker was largely shot
8: in Jordan in 100-degree-plus temperatures, with Renner wearing a real bomb disposal suit. Couldn't they have given you something that didn't they, they, weigh 100 pounds? They, yeah, they actually thought
9: about it, um, but then it walked differently in it. Everything about that movie was... Authentic as you can be, you know, it was just one of those experiences. This wasn't a movie. I, 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 uh, it changed me a lot. Changed me a lot.
8: When he was nominated for an Academy Award, he made a phone call that can still touch his emotions. You call your mother?
9: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I called her to, to ask her to be my, Yeah, I called her to be my date. Another really, really cool thing. She said, of course
8: I'll be your date. Renner is the oldest of his mother's six children, a family that lived modestly in Modesto, California.
9: I grew up with no money. I'm used
8: to having no money. Hollywood was not in his plans. So you're not thinking of going into acting when you're in high school. No, no. I knew I how to go to college. I should go. So his father suggested the local community college. Pick a class and go take it.
9: I'm like, okay. Go fail. I always had love. And that go fail, son, empowered me to go succeed or try. So I did. I went and just tried stuff, you know. And one of them was an acting class. Once I tried that acting class, uh, it stuck.
8: He left for Los Angeles, determined to be noticed.
9: I gave myself 11 years. Don't know why 11 years, you know, but, you know, 11 years, uh, I need to be in a movie movie big enough that's going to play in Modesto and be in a role that I didn't have to tell my parents, were, you know, I'm the guy in the red shirt in the background. I just want to be in a, like, you'll see me in that movie.
8: That movie turned out to be National Lampoon's senior trip.
11: Lisa, 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 Lisa. What?
8: You want to cut and go to a party? Come on.
9: I know you like me. That was my first job ever. That's not a bad job for a first job.
8: But after that promising start, it would be almost seven years before Renner had his next major role. It took time. It took time. His break came with Dahmer in 2002, playing serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. The next year, he was cast as a rogue policeman in SWAT. For the first time, he had a bit of money and found something to do with it.
9: That's when I uh, got the First house, about the first house with my brother. And so we pulled our money together barely and um, fixed it up. And the realtor's like, oh, I can sell us for this number. I'm like, what? Okay.
8: It was the start of Jeremy Renner making his mark on Hollywood as a house flipper. And often you were sleeping in those unfinished houses? Always. That part sucked.
9: <laughs> yeah, that part of it. Um yeah, during the Hurt Locker. I was we were in a house in the electricity, so you don't run the water. I was sleeping in a tent. My tuxedo was in that little tent. I had to step over some nails and get my tuxedo on and go on the limo to
8: a Starbucks, brush my teeth. I'm like, all right, I'm ready. How many houses have you done now?
9: This is the twenty seventh. Twenty seventh. Twenty seventh that we built, yeah.
8: He drafted the plans for remodeling the home he lives in today with a that swimming pool. Right fit for a theme park this is not just a pool i mean this is an event
9: (laughs) i wanted to be like a playground for all the kids in my family and a playground for all the adults in my family
8: no one in his family is more important than his four-year-old daughter ava he shares custody with ex-wife model sonny pacheco
9: i think right now my attention is to be uh, a father that's my best role to date
8: in a pool house he converted to a music studio he writes and records his own songs
9: it was my first love you know music
8: can you play me something that you've recorded here
9: i can i can play you something i'm not sure what i want to reveal to you <laughs> no one
8: hears this stuff the song garden of stone is for Ava.
9: why I don't release music, you know, because it's such a personal thing.
8: After Wind River, he will be kept busy with more Avengers sequels. His acting career may have had a slow start, but in Hollywood, Jeremy Renner is now much in demand.
9: What's going to happen next? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see, excited to grow, excited
3: to see what's going to happen. Now you see it? Soon, you won't. Just ahead. Expect plenty of cries of, look up, a week from tomorrow. Umbrophilia is sweeping the nation. And our Martha Teichner is hardly immune.
10: 45 million pairs of customized eclipse glasses. That's what American Paper Optics figures its factory outside Memphis has turned out.
5: Right now, we're producing over 500,000 eclipse glasses a day.
10: Now, do you understand how big this eclipse will be? CEO John Jarrett.
5: We think of it as the Super Bowl of the sky. So it's so big because we're talking about 300 million people looking at the sky, and they all need eye protection.
10: Ready or not, here it comes. Eight days from today, for the first time in 99 years, a solar eclipse will cross the entire continental United States, its path of totality from Oregon to South Carolina, approximately 70 miles wide, a partial eclipse visible elsewhere. What is a solar eclipse? It's when the moon passes between the Earth and the sun. The darkness is the moon's shadow.
4: When the sun is about halfway or, or three-quarters of the way covered, if you have a shade tree around and you look at the sunlight filtering down through the leaves of the shade tree and look down on the
10: ground, you will see crescents on the ground because the leaves act like pinhole cameras. Retired NASA astrophysicist Fred Espinach is known as Mr. Eclipse.
4: Just before totality, uh, the sky starts getting dark and you get one bright bead on the edge of the, of the sun's disk that's called the diamond ring effect. And then the sun's disc is completely covered and the corona is revealed in all its glory.
10: Maybe you've seen those eclipse postage stamps. If you press on one, your body heat makes the eclipse go away and the face of the moon appear. They're Espinax photos. He's witnessed 27 solar eclipses, met his wife at one. So it should come as no surprise that he lives in the Arizona desert, far from city lights, in a development called Sky Village, where residents all have their own observatories. Get
2: a good view of of Saturn in the rings. Wow,
10: I see the rings. The name for an eclipse chaser
11: like Espinak? Umbrophile, or lover of shadows. I have seen five total eclipses. So my first was in Aruba in 1998,
10: Science writer David Barron is another self-proclaimed umbraphile.
11: It was the most awe-inspiring, I dare say, spiritual experience I've ever had. And I say this as a science journalist.
10: Barron's new book, American Eclipse, recalls an
11: earlier era's eclipse sensation. July 29, 1878, the path that the moon's shadow took went right across the Wild West, from Montana territory down to Texas, and dozens of American astronomers headed out to the West to observe that eclipse. The most prominent scientist to come out that year was Thomas Edison.
10: Edison had just invented the phonograph. Even by today's standards, he was a media
11: star. So, Edison's involvement in the eclipse definitely helped raise the profile of the eclipse overall. And the very day after he returned from the eclipse, he started work on a new project, and that was the light bulb. The 1878
10: eclipse was critical to the prestige of a nation not yet taken
11: seriously as a force in science. And was one of those key events that really did lead the country not too much later, by 1900, to be an equal with Europe, in terms of science, and then really to excel and exceed Europe.
2: So what's this line? Well, this line is the center of the 73-mile-wide uh, solar eclipse.
10: As for prime eclipse viewing spots, if the Wild West seemed exotic in 1878, Macanda, Illinois, population 600, might qualify today.
2: Uh, why orange? That's, well, we only had orange paint. Uh.
10: According to Dave Dardis, the path of totality runs right through the workshop, where he is making and selling Eclipse art, happily expecting to cash in on his amazing good fortune that totality here will be longer than almost anywhere else on Earth, two minutes and 40 seconds.
2: And there are going to be hundreds of people wanting to stand on this line. I guess, and if they, if they stand on the line here and they want to wear a funny hat or anything like that, I'm going to charge them money.
10: Ah, and how can you manage that? Well, I can
2: tell what a funny hat looks like.
10: It's the probability of not hundreds, but thousands of people showing up in Macanda. Are you excited or are you terrified? I'm more excited than terrified,
16: but a good portion of me is terrified.
10: <laughs> that has volunteer eclipse coordinator Joe McFarland a little panicky. Again, look around you. How many people could fit in this little tiny valley? This is it. This is it. So it's about withstanding the eclipse yes. as opposed to just enjoying it. It is. Now, a little further along the path of totality, Hopkinsville, Kentucky. The message here is bring it on. The economic impact of an anticipated 100,000 visitors. million. In addition to a prime Hopkinsville location to view the shadow of the moon, Casey Jones Distillery is offering Moonshine, 100-proof corn liquor, $40 a bottle.
15: We guarantee the light's out. You can have an eclipse anytime you want. You don't have to wait. And I assure you, if
10: you have an eclipse with this, it's going to last a lot longer than 2 minutes and 40 seconds. Well, you actually have gas burners. Arlen Casey-Jones makes the stuff by hand, in the same kind of still his grandfather, the original Casey-Jones used during Prohibition. Cheers. Cheers. Lights out. (laughs) It is potent. It is potent a little moonshine might prepare you for what will be happening nearby in Kelly. The eclipse will coincide with the annual Kelly Little Green Men Festival.
14: The actual encounter took place over here in this little wooded area.
10: Exactly 62 years to the day after Geraldine Sutton Stith's father and 10 other friends and family members claimed to have had an alien encounter.
14: They saw this little three, three and a half foot tall being coming out from the woods.
10: And it looked like what?
14: <laughs> well, nothing they'd ever seen before. It had a huge head, huge ears, big glowing eyes. Its little arms almost touched the ground and it was floating on top of the ground.
10: Given the spooky timing, will they be back?
14: In a way, I would love it to happen because you would prove it. And in another way, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, just, just, you can come, but don't take me with you.
10: Let no one say that the great American eclipse will not be memorable. Fred Espinak, Mr. Eclipse, has this advice for anyone seeing a total eclipse for the first time. The thing to keep
4: in mind is not to get so carried away with cameras and stuff that you miss the event itself. Comparing... uh, natural phenomena on a
3: scale of 1 to 10, a partial eclipse might be a 3 or a 4, and a total eclipse is a million.
14: Totality!
3: We just told you about the great eclipse, but in my orbit, this has been big news for almost a year now. My son George, the one who insisted on dressing as the solar system for Halloween, the one whose New Year's resolution was to, quote, get a shrewd idea of how the multiverse works. My nine-year-old has been prepping me for this for months and preparing me with handwritten space quiz questions like, when did the Big Bang happen? 13.5, 13.6, 13.7, or 13.8 billion years ago? (laughs) It's great to show your kids what you know, but the real joy comes when they show you what a dummy you are. I got a 20% on his last quiz. If you want to take it, we'll post George's space quiz to our Facebook page later this
14: morning. We are rolling. Coming up,
3: playing their song. To welcome us to Portland, Oregon, 67-year-old Steve Goodwin would like to play one of his songs for you. Ah. You have no idea how much he would like to play one of his songs for you.
5: Ah. Ah. What key is it in?
11: It made me almost hate the piano. Ah. But then I realized it's not the piano's fault. You not know how to do this. It's this thing that's going on in my brain. How
3: about I play something else? Three years ago, Steve was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Ah. He had to give up his job as a software designer. But his wife, Joni, says the cruelest part is the toll it's taking on the music he composed.
14: Losing the songs would be like losing him.
3: Steve and Joni have been married 47 years. And along the way, Steve composed more than two dozen songs, mostly for her. He played them daily, and they became the soundtrack of their lives. Love you. Um, Unfortunately, he never wrote down most of them. No, let's see. Um. So when his memory started failing, and the songs started fading, there was no way to get them back. Until a family friend, a professional pianist, offered to launch a rescue mission.
6: I said, if he can at least play through it, even in pieces, I can learn it.
3: And so for the past two years, Naomi LaViolette has been reconstructing his compositions note by note.
10: Uh, No, just
3: on the one,
10: The downbeat? The
11: one downbeat, yes.
2: We are
0: rolling.
3: And of course, they're recording the songs. Never to be lost again.
14: I realized there was a part of him that wasn't going to fade away.
3: But this may be the best part. With Naomi's help, Steve was able to write a new song. Although he forgets entire conversations and can no longer add even single-digit numbers, somehow, his mind dreamed up this. Alzheimer's steals a lot, but today, we score one for the beauty
2: left behind. Sweet. Got it? (laughs) Right on.
4: There he is.
3: Still to come. <laughs> Why everybody loves Raymond. Hey, Tony, what's up, man? What are you doing? And later, Drive top this. The spa. In. It's a thatched roof.
6: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
14: This one's not accurate enough. <laughs>
1: It's Sunday morning on CBS, and here again is Steve Hartman.
3: That's Ray Romano with the late Doris Roberts. Romano won a huge following with his TV series, Everybody Loves Raymond. These days, he's still charming audiences on stage and screen. Tracy Smith has our Sunday profile.
1: Oh, oh, easy. We're both going to be disappointed. We saw you perform at the Comedy Cellar the other night. You saw a good one. Yeah, to us it looked like you killed.
7: That one was one of my best ones I've had there. I got lucky. I hope you have footage of it.
1: (laughs) I'm in. I'm in. Actor Ray Romano is still at home on the stand-up stage. My wife,
7: we've been married for a long time.
1: His act has always been about family, especially Anna, his wife of 30 years.
7: We were going to dinner. She goes, can I go to dinner in this, is this okay for dinner? And I looked at her and I said, yeah. And she
1: looks at me and she goes,
7: I don't even know why I ask you.
1: <laughs> it's helped make him one of the biggest names say? in the business, but at 59, Ray Romano still has other dreams to chase. Hey, Bellars- In Get Shorty, a new TV series based on the Elmore Leonard book, he's a small-time film producer making a big studio movie with money from some hardcore gangsters. Rick, which movies you make? Oh,
7: uh, I don't know if you've heard of them. Day of Reckoning, Out for Blood.
1: Like everything else in the show, which premieres tonight on Epix, Ray's character is over the top. Just look at the hair.
7: You can touch can it. Can I touch it? <laughs> Be careful. Ooh, there's could, some product you know, you in you there. You might cut yourself. Okay. I may look like a, a small fish in a big pond, but I'm strictly legit.
1: But oddly enough, a Romano body. sees a lot of his neurotic character in himself.
7: So getting into a character who's like that is a little bit easy. It's a little organic. You yeah. have those
1: feelings Yes, I inside. have it.
7: Yes. I've always said, even though I'm, you know, I appear successful. That insecurity, that neuroses stays there. It's just at a different level. My, my saying is, before all this, I thought my cab driver hated me, and now I think my limo driver hates me. It's, it's just moved on to another level, yes. <laughs> Look, I know how I feel. Okay, okay.
1: Truth is, Ray Romano's hang-ups have kept us laughing for years.
7: You know how you feel the day before you get the flu? Well, this is the day before that. <laughs>
1: From 1996 to 2005, Everybody Loves Raymond ruled the primetime landscape, a real-ish TV family where people could see a bit of themselves.
6: I'm a damn fine nurturer. Now get out of bed.
1: Romano, who has four children of his own, was a natural as the big-hearted dad. Still, his success on the show didn't erase his own insecurity. Yeah, I mean, you joke about these neuroses. Yeah but you really are a happy, content guy.
7: Yes, but there's still times where I struggle with things. Look, my kids are all good people. My wife is a good person. I'm, I have a happy marriage. Uh, I, have, I can do what I want to do. So I am grateful and happy for that. But I, I'm no, no different than anybody else, really, I think, in that sense. That's why everybody loves you. Uh, <laughs> I hate myself enough. To balance it out reading books again
1: <laughs> on the show ray was an average joe from queens with a loving but often annoying family including his older brother a new york city cop named robert
7: well you wear the uniform everywhere now
1: i'm on a lunch break
7: they make us wear these for work Richard, you you walk Rhode out Island? of the house.
1: And Ray's real-life older out. brother Richard, who actually was an NYPD officer, helped show us around the Queens neighborhood where the Romanos grew up. Yeah, yeah, so this was the
7: main schoolyard.
5: Oh, boy, now, this is it right here.
1: First of
7: all, it was the softball center of Queens.
1: So were you not, <laughs> you cut school? Were you not? I was, I was a
7: horrible student. Yeah, I drove my mother crazy. It's funny, because now that I have kids, I feel like every time, I, I, every now and then I go, I have to apologize
1: to my mother, because what they're doing to me, I did to her. When they weren't on the ball field, the three Romano boys, Richard, Ray, and Robert, would hang out down the street at Lillian Pizzeria. The old place is still here, and 40 years later, so are the owners, Tony and Lillian. Ray says they make some of the best pizza in New York, they definitely have the best music. Sure, it's the star treatment, but Lillian Pizzeria's favorite customer has been on kind of a roll lately. You've never talked to
7: people about 9-11? No, what's what's your stance?
1: In the movie, The Big Sick, Romano and Holly Hunter are worried parents getting to know their critically ill daughter's Pakistani boyfriend, played by Kumel Nanjani.
7: You have a play, uh, You Can't Rhyme It? How does that go? It's uh, basically, you know, you, you try to find a word, a real word that nobody can rhyme. Stonehenge. It? Yeah, so you would win. Yeah.
1: The film and Ray's performance are getting rave reviews. But Romano is humble as ever, maybe because of a note his big brother wrote him long ago before Ray left for Hollywood. My brother Richard, um, he put a
7: quote um, from the Bible uh, about, I'm not going to get it right, but the essence of it was, what is it uh, profit a man who... Gains the world, but loses his soul. And I guess his, it was his way of telling me, good luck, but just remember us and who you, where you came from. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to spring that. Okay, anyway, yeah. So that was that.
1: But it meant something yeah, to yeah,
7: you. Yeah, yeah. They're both my heroes, you know, because I, one's a cop, one's a teacher, and I tell jokes about poop, and I make so much more money than them. <laughs> Yeah, my youngest son is uh, 16. I don't know how to describe him.
1: In the end, it's family he's, he's that he's helped right. make I'm Ray really Romano a, a big star and keeps him the he modest seems, guy everybody still to seems to love.
7: You know, like my wife and I ARE in the kitchen and he just walks through I haven't showered in 4 days. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Do they give you a hard time about using them in your act?
7: Uh no, they don't. The kids love it. My wife on occasion Oh, but whenever she complains about me using her as material, I, I tell her to go cry in a bag of money. <laughs> 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 no, but, I, uh, but she is, she, look, she gives me a lot of stuff. She gives me a lot of material. Uh, the big Sick came out. One of the reviews was uh, Romano is stunning. And I read that to her. And she said, uh, they must have spelled stupid wrong. Yeah. <laughs> So, I, I thank God I have her, because it's half my act.
16: <laughs> Coming up... It feels awfully solid for something that's basically grass.
3: The last straw. Grasping at straws is all the rage among a growing number of British homeowners, as Mark Phillips now shows us. When it comes
16: to housing design...
0: It's got to be tight. If it's not tight, it won't hold the water out. Right.
16: So It's hard to get more retro than this.
0: Get my mallet and
11: drive the spa in.
16: It feels awfully solid for something that's basically grass. Chris Dodson is a fourth generation thatcher. And then a family firm going back about 100 years, business has never been better. If I were lucky enough to have a thatched cottage and needed your services, when could I get you?
0: For a full re-Thatchers, you're looking, booking at least two years in advance. Two
16: years in advance? Yes. There's always been plenty of work for Thatchers. The roofs need periodic maintenance. Even replacing every 20 to 40 years. The top bit, the ridge, needs the most frequent work and is the most distinctive feature.
0: Each Thatcher's got their actual own signature. This is
16: a Thatcher signature. Yes, you and say, you can tell oh, just by
0: looking at someone's Joe did that
16: one, Tom did that one. Yeah, that yeah one.
0: pretty much.
13: It is difficult to find a village or a hamlet without a profusion of thatched roof cottages.
16: Thatch was not originally used because it was a fashion statement. It was used because it was cheap. But Thatch is making a comeback not just on three- or four-hundred-year-old so-called chocolate box cottages. Now thatch has become
0: cool. It's now a high-end market. It's uh, rather than... Gone gone from poor working class to high-end. It it is a mirror of what it was was, um, 50 or 60 years ago.
16: This place is on the market for about a million and a half dollars. So, if you're looking for a period property, it's hard to get more period than one that's got grass on the roof.
14: I'd say so, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
16: Once the thatched roof might have put buyers off all that maintenance and the fire risk, but now there are modern fire resistant coatings to reduce the risk. And Sophie Gannon, the real estate agent, says thatch is a selling point. Will you have some people coming to you and saying, "Look, what I want is a thatch cottage"?
14: Yeah, we do get people specifically coming and asking for that.
16: We're into organic food, we're into organic fuels, and we're now into organic roofs.
14: Yeah, I mean it's very trendy. Everyone wants to be
3: environmentally friendly. you
16: just don't know what. Even it seems, people building new new, ultra modern homes. Was there a pregnant moment of silence on the part of the builder when you said,
0: "And the roof's going to be thatch"? It was an excitement more than anything.
16: It's a striking contrast of a new structure wearing a classy old hat, designed by architect Alistair Godfrey. So is this a traditional roof in search of a modern house or a modern house in search of something different in the way of a roof?
0: (laughs) Um, I think it's a modern house with a cozy covering, if uh, that's not too (laughs) fine a way of putting it.
16: And whether it's a modern house or a 400-or-so-year-old one, coziness counts. There's mice. And, right. according to Christine and Brian Marshall, who have lived for 40 years in the house where Chris Dodson is fixing the roof, there's something else a thatch roof provides.
6: You get
10: this feeling of comfort and, you know... Um, it's peace. Peace.
16: Which is something any architect would like to design in. Do you see this as a way of the past or as a way of the future?
0: Um, I think it's a viable product to use in the future where people are looking for something different and long-lasting, recyclable. It's got a place, definitely.
16: You don't have to mow it, do
0: you? No.
6: <laughs> Let's be clear. Not every man who interrupts is a man-terruptor.
3: Up next, mansplaining. Explained. For all the talk about greater gender equality, it's still a man's world, or so says our faith Saley.
6: If you don't know what mansplaining is, or man interrupting, or manspread, spread then you're probably a guy. Here's mansplaining, when a dude explains something in a condescending manner, usually to a woman who might even know more than he does.
1: You are not an expert on this, my brother, because you are not a woman walking in the street. Uh-oh. So you uh, don't No,
16: no, but yeah. I am more of an expert. <laughs> I'm more of an expert than you, and I'll tell you why cuz I'm a guy
4: and I
6: know Absolutely how we not. think
4: more than you guys will ever know.
6: Here's man interrupting, which speaks for itself it's or tries to. let me finish. Here, hey, 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 but let me finish. You, hey, Kelly. Hey, hey, I'm sh- sorry, go sh- ahead. I'm cal-
11: sorry, Calm down a bit here, Kelly.
6: And man spread that's this. And it's gotten so bad that cities like New York and Madrid have resorted to campaigns that actually ask men to stop behaving as if each of their knees needs its own seat and their genitalia deserve another. Man-spread, man-splaining, man-terrupting, all of it, whether conscious or not, diminishes women's voices, minds, and bodies. Now let's be clear, not every man who interrupts is a man-terruptor. And women explain, women interrupt, but I'm just gonna woman a few stats for you. Women on the Supreme Court get interrupted three times more than their male colleagues. That's not just. You know, well, have a good time, folks. Good In, In fact, the first 2016 presidential debate, Hillary Clinton interrupted actually. Donald Trump 11 times, and Trump job. interrupted actually, her 55 he times. Donald, she has a name. Where did you find Her this? Her name Where is Alicia Machado. Where did you find this? And she has become who's a who's counting? Mansplaining may be a newish term, but it's not a new phenomenon. But here's why these recently birthed words are a good thing. Because they name something. And when you name something, you raise consciousness. The conversation is now on the cultural table, and it cannot be interrupted, explained away, or squished to the side. We're seeing this now with pop star Taylor Swift appearing in court to assert unapologetically and unequivocally that she was sexually assaulted. She's come a long way from this.
11: I'm really happy for you, I'ma let you finish, but Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time.
6: And if none of this resonates, then I was the wrong messenger. Ask a man to explain what I mean.
3: I'm Steve Hartman, please join Jane Pauly here next Sunday morning.
0: If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music.